I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Podcasts Like It's 1999. Uh, I am your host, Phil Liskov, and with us today is past and future guest and present guest, more importantly, uh, Jarrett Weisselman, self-appointed pop culture oh. guru, however you want to uh, <laughs> however yeah. you want to describe him. Uh, he's here today. Uh, he's one of my favorite people on Twitter. I'm sure he's one of your favorite people on Twitter uh, and various other forms of social media. Um he he knows something about everything on television and music and in pop culture. So we had to have him on to talk about one of the biggest pop culture sort of lightning rods of maybe ever, quite frankly, uh, Sex and City, obviously. We're going to talk about episode 211, Evolution, in a moment. But more importantly, perhaps, is where were you in 99? How did this show come into your life? Is it still a part of your life? Yeah, so in 1999, I was a senior in high school, closeted, living in suburban New Jersey. Um, and what's interesting is, I mean, what's so funny is it feels like I always watched Sex in the City, but I know I didn't because I have this very distinct memory of getting the Sex in the City DVDs in the Netflix red envelope delivered to me uh-huh. like one season at a time. And so I know that I caught up after the fact. I know that it was later. My, I, if I had to guess, I think that I probably binged the first two or three seasons on Netflix and then watched after that because I remember watching the finale with my best friend in college when it aired. Um, and then when I worked, my first job out of college was at InTouch Weekly Magazine, which was obviously like, you know, a gossipy celeb magazine. And I was working there the year Sex and the City ended. And so there was this big issue where we had like our goodbye to Sex and the City. And I'll always remember, and I hope this doesn't sound creepy because I don't want it to, but we did this um, giveaway with a bunch of props from the show. So we had like a, a brooch or some costume jewelry or whatever. And we had this one hat that Sarah Jessica Parker, oh my God, Sarah Jessica Parker, that, that Sarah Jessica Parker wore and it was sort of like a knit cap and i remember it was from the final season she was in the snow and i remember going into our fashion closet and smelling it for some reason and it smelled so good she had like the best smelling hair and i have this very distinct <laughs> memory of smelling there jessica parker's sex in the city knit cap when we had it at in touch weekly <laughs> so needless to say still part of my life loved the show big fan <laughs> Um, so I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm curious because, I mean, I don't, I really don't know how to ask this. So I'm just going to ask this. You're the yes. first man that we've had on the show. 
Okay. And you are obviously an openly gay man. And I and this is a, a a sort of gay iconic show. I mean, I feel like it spoke to a lot of I mean, listen, it was a it was a a, a game changing show in a bunch of ways. It was yeah. a progressive show at the time. Right. Subsequently, not as much not so. Much. We can talk yeah. about that. <laughs> but but I do think that it and, and we'll talk about it specifically with this episode as well, in terms of how it deals with notions of sexuality and and what that all means and and what i appreciated about the show and it's one of the many things i appreciated was that it was trying to sort of get rid of labels it was trying to kind of break outside of the box of those things and i guess my question to you is you were closeted perhaps when you first saw this did it change your perspective of it as you became you know more open about your sexuality like did i see the show differently the more like not really you know i think it has less to do with being closeted or not, I think there was a lure to this. Like I was drawn to the show because it was all of the things that I loved. You know, it was, it was New York. It was fashion. It was, you know, fun and frivolity and, you know, all of that, which is so exciting. And I think when you are also living in a small town and are closeted, those are aspirational things that you hope you can have in your life for your life. Um, I think, though, coming out didn't really change the way I saw the show. I think time is the thing that's changed the show. You know, as you well know, it not only, what's funny is the show not only looks kind of regressive in retrospect, you know, I think a lot of the things that felt inclusive were actually sort of marginalizing in a way that I don't think was an intention. I think it's just emblematic of the time. I don't think it is a fault of the show. I think that's just what happens when you make a show about sexuality in 1999, when, you know, we've just started talking about, you know, queer people in mainstream media. I think what was really interesting about coming out and, you know, sort of embracing the fullness of myself was realizing that the things that were so taboo sexually that I talked about on the show were actually very calm. <laughs> like they're not that risque at all when yep. you actually start having sex. Yep. I mean, it's it's funny because um, in the episode after this, in episode 212, uh, it's a whole S&M episode. And, oh, like- and, and Stanford has like his own storyline where he's on a gay chat room and mm-hmm. dealing with, you know, uh, his fetishes, which are wearing underwear, essentially. I mean, like it's it yeah. is not particularly, you know, but crazy or kinky. <laughs> but at the time, it's just it is really interesting to see how we've changed as much as we have yeah. as a society. We've obviously grown a lot more accustomed to a lot of, you know, just there's a there's a wide spectrum of people and we should all be open to all these different types of people and i think that the show in its way was doing that back in 99 totally which which brings me sort of to the news of the day right now which is that yesterday it was sort of confirmed at least on social media through the various cast members yeah. and producers that a sex in the city revival will be coming to hbo max someday <laughs> who yeah. knows when they shoot it um I know that, uh, you know, it's looking like we're going to get some writers to come on and talk about the show that are going to be on this revival. Whether or not they'll talk about the revival is anyone's guess. But um, I guess my question to you is this. Are we done with Sex in the City? (laughs) (laughs) There's no more. There's no more. Um, I mean, that's really the question, you know, because here's the thing. On the one hand... Mm -hmm. Will I absolutely watch every single episode? Yes, of course. It goes without saying. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think there's a difference yeah. between like desire and interest. I think yeah. I don't have a desire for new Same. episodes. I have an interest in new episodes if they're going to exist anyway. I can't continue to be the self-appointed king of pop culture if I'm not watching the segment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. But, th- but this is actually my bigger question. You know, one of the things that. Sarah Jessica and Michael Patrick King, who really steered the ship in those later seasons and then with the films, have talked about is that they never really decided to embrace a world that felt the recession that existed within the framework of reality. You know, they didn't really talk about, I think 9-11 wasn't really, wasn't talked about on the show. Um, They just took the Twin Towers out of the opening credits. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't talk about the recession. And they've really talked about, you know, they feel like one of the mistakes they made with the second film was creating this lavish spectacle. I mean, there's a million mistakes, but, but but continuing to lean into the lavish spectacle of the show when people were really in a place where they could not even entertain that kind of lifestyle. And so now I wonder, you know, we are not only in a time of unprecedented 
everything, right? I mean, so the question yeah. that I have is not really about like, am I interested in seeing what Carrie Bradshaw's life is like when she's 50 years old? It's more like, how does a show like Sex and the City continue to be what it is to the fans and exist in a time that is potentially pre or post Trump, especially in Manhattan, pre or post COVID, because I don't really know which one makes more sense, and pre or post Black Lives Matter, you know, I mean, never post, but like, you know what I mean? Like, there is, the world is so different now in so many different ways. And my question is, I don't know how the world of Sex and the City fits into that and maintains itself as the thing that people liked. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I keep sort of, I keep vacillating back and forth on it. And, and, and I can't really sort of really, until we know what it is, it's really kind of hard to judge it. And I don't want to judge yeah. things before they've made it. Um, yeah. You know, I think that the second film, it would be a shame if the second film was the end of these people's stories. Yeah. Um, we love these characters and, and the second film is problematic on a bunch of different levels. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I mentioned this on, on, on another episode where like, for me, what I loved about the show uh, was how intimate and how relatively small it felt that it was really mm -hmm. a character driven show for the most part. Right. And outside of the fashion and sort of the, 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 I don't even want to say spectacle because really it wasn't a particularly lavish show when everything was said and done um, as well made as it was. And as, as fashion forward as it was, I don't know that it necessarily was a show that, uh, that felt, you know, particularly overproduced. The movies felt yeah. overproduced. Yes. Yeah. So I'm curious to see a a transition back to that smaller format um, and, and hopefully a more character-driven uh, format. I, I mean, and I love that, Phil, because I completely agree with you. And I do wonder how much of that is going to be sort of decided for them. Because if this yeah. is something, hypothetically, they are planning to put out in December, let's say, there's no world you're filming on the streets of Manhattan or at clubs or anything like that. So you have to focus on the interpersonal stuff, the stuff you can do with three people in a room. And so I'm very curious to see what shape it takes. But I, again, I just don't know that we needed this because it feels like even with the second film, they've yeah. gotten out with their legacy pretty intact, all things considered. You know, I think that the second film and even the first film to some degree, which we don't have to get into, did not benefit the show's narrative. I mean, yeah, it made a ton of money and it was like amazing business and that's great. But story-wise, the big and carry stuff is nuts. And, you know, Miranda getting cheated on by Steve is really weird. And there's just, there's a bunch of stuff in there that feels so incongruous to who those characters are that we watched over the course of the show. So I'm curious to see what they do. I'm very scared, but also at the same time, like that's kind of exciting. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's, here's what's I think interesting too, um, is it's one of few shows that I can think of. There's really only one that comes to, to the top of my head of a show that was on television, went to the big screen and came back to television. Um, I, I would, I, I posited this on, on Twitter, probably when I was rewatching the sex and city movies of like, has there been a successful transfer of a television show to a movie? And I mean, listen, some people, there were a whole bunch of things that were sent to me. I think some of them, there's some legitimacy to the reality is I don't think that there is a bona fide. Yes. That, that there's a mm -hmm. thing that you point to and say like, yes, this is why you should do it. And part of it is because I think the reason we love TV is because it's in our fucking house. It's in our right. apartment. It's, we are, we are checking in on these characters that we love every week for as many episodes as that thing exists. And it becomes a lot more intimate. It becomes a lot more, you just become a lot more attached to the characters. Movies are these gargantuan things where these people feel larger than life right. and you're enjoying the escapism of that thing. Those two things are kind of incongruent. Yeah. And I think that that's why, generally speaking, the transitions don't work that well. Um, you know, we've got a Sopranos prequel coming out sometime this year. We'll see what that is. We had an Entourage movie. We saw what that was. I mean, these don't always work. I would say more times than not, they don't. Um, so what I'm hoping is the transition back to the format they originally started in will be a better way to end it. And we'll see. Uh, yeah, I hope so, too. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned three people, so I have to ask you what your thoughts on on a Samantha Jones-ness <laughs> Sex in the City. I mean, here's the... You know what? It's really funny because on the one hand, yeah. this is a show about four best friends, and now you're doing a show, <laughs> you're doing a series without one of those four. 
That said, I actually wonder, because like Kim Cattrall made it very well known how she felt about this situation. I wonder if it would be more distracting as a viewer Mm -hmm. to have her in the show constantly thinking every time, you know, Samantha and Carrie are in a scene together, I'm like, they fucking hate each other, right? (laughs) Like I, 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 so I kind of think that the real world what like relationship would have infiltrated the show on this re- this reboot to such a degree that it would have been too distracting that it almost makes more sense for her not to be on the show that said i mean they're gonna have to kill her right like I'm, <laughs> no, I'm, no i'm i'm serious like 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 samantha has to be dead in this version of the show in my opinion because what else do you do? How else can you explain that she's not making a phone call? She's not popping in. I mean, she was flying back and forth from LA that first movie, like she was a flight attendant, you know, like, so it makes no sense that she just now wouldn't. And they can't have a falling out because that invalidates the premise of the show. And so it really has to be that, like, it has to open with her funeral in my <laughs> guess, is my guess. I, <laughs> That's my guess. I mean, it's it seems possible. It seems dark for the show, but it seems possible. I mean, I I I I don't want to even hazard a guess on what they're going to do with her. I'll say this: uh, I think that um, as having been in writers' rooms, uh, mm-hmm. sometimes yeah, when you got a well, when you've got a gun to your head and you're being told you have to do a thing, sometimes yeah. you come up with the best ideas you come up with. And it's very possible that being forced in a corner and being forced to talk about this foursome as a threesome mm. might be the best thing that, that they could have asked for. Who knows? I, it's really yeah. hard to say. Absolutely. So. It's going to be, again, fascinating. Can't wait to see. Can't wait to see what they do with it. Um, so this specific episode, which is 211, it's called Evolution. Uh, I'll give a brief synopsis. Carrie tries to leave her mark on Big's place by leaving behind some personal items. Miranda finds out that one of her ovaries has stopped producing eggs. Charlotte dates Stefan, a pastry chef who she mistakenly thought was gay, but is, in his own words, a gay straight man. And Samantha tries to get revenge on Dominic, her ex who broke her heart. Evolution aired on August 15th, 1999. It was written by Cindy Chupak and directed by Pam Thomas. This episode landed at number 53 on Vulture's list of all of the episodes, which feels about right, somewhere in the middle. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's probably... Um, I want to kind of just take each storyline and just kind of just talk about each of them individually. Sure. It's sort of the easiest way to go about it. Um, I, you know, let's just go at the one that, that, that I think is perhaps the most problematic of the four, um, or at least the, the, the trickiest, which is okay. the gay straight man monitor. Right. Um, so Charlotte is dating uh, Dan Fetterman. Is that the actor? Yeah, Dan believe? Fetterman from Birdcage. Yeah, from Birdcage. Ironically, from Birdcage. Well, a I few mean, years right. earlier. <laughs> Just that's that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, so he is a pastry chef who seems somewhat a feminine. I guess is the best way to describe it. Generous. <laughs> Just yeah. Um, he so. She basically goes out with him to see a play or something to that effect, I believe, is their first scene together. Yeah, they, like, go on a date, but she doesn't think yeah. it's a date. She thinks, I'm hanging out with my gay best friend. Yeah. He's couldn't be more flaming. And as she's getting into the cab, he kisses her. And she's yeah. like, and it's what? my favorite line, because she goes, she goes, I wore my glasses. Like, one of the things that I love about Charlotte is that she has these signifiers of romance that when they're not met it's it's inexplicable to her right so it's like she does that thing she's like i didn't wash my hair i was wearing pants i was wearing my glasses like to her that means like i wasn't on a date and i find that very charming it's one of the things i love about her um and yeah and then the kiss kind of throws her the kiss kind of throws her and then she proceeds to sort of ask the group their thoughts carrie sort of says if i remember correctly Carrie asks, is he a gay straight man or a straight gay man? Right. Uh, and they have this whole sort of conversation about, I mean, I, I guess let's be real, sort of gender fluidity to a certain degree. And this idea of in early stages of that, I guess, to a certain degree. Yeah, you know, it's, it, it is gender fluidity, but it also is this other thing that's really interesting, which is truly what they say in the show, which is just exposure. I think when you are part of a world where there is no judgment, it allows you to sort of embrace the things about gender norms or the opposites of gender norms that you would think are not okay to embrace. For example, the idea of a gay straight man and a straight gay man is very real and like Mm -hmm. exists even today. You know, I have plenty of gay friends who are straight acting or straight presenting or 
vice versa. I have tons of straight friends who could be mistaken for gay. I think the mis- the not the mistake they made here. I think the hard part about this portrayal is that for television to sell the conceit that Charlotte thought he was gay, they had to make him so effeminate that it kind of becomes a parody unto itself, which actually is a very interesting thing to analyze if you could do it in a more nuanced way. But then again, we're watching Sex in the City, so it's not really like a nuanced experience yeah. to begin with. You have 22 <laughs> minutes to basically get from you know A to Z. Um, but the idea is really interesting. And I think that's a there's a there's a truth in there that even to this day exists. It's just not Dan Futterman on a chair screaming, like shrieking, because there's a mouse in a glue trap that he doesn't want to touch. Because there's a lot. You know, it's just but that's what I mean. It's like the extremeness of the need to do yes. that made it sort of feel kind of like you're not actually analyzing a real thing. You're just making fun of something that kind of exists in the world. Yeah. It's, it's the, I, I fully agree with you. I, I think that the unfortunate part is that they felt like they had to go for these pretty glaring stereotypes in order yeah. to convey to the audience. Yeah. This is gay stuff like right. knowing a designer or right. liking Martha Stewart or yeah. I mean, whatever the case might be. These are things that unfortunately these signifiers that, the show is is still a broad comedy, right? And in these early seasons, you really feel the broadness of it. It gets deeper as it progresses. Yes, totally. Um, so in these early seasons, you had stuff like this where it's like, well, Charlotte's got, let's be honest, seven, maybe ten minutes of screen time if she's lucky. So that right. character has to convey a whole bunch of stuff in a very short period of time, to your point. Um, yeah. But they could have picked, like, one <laughs> Like they didn't have to do well, all of them. All of them. I mean, it's it's the voice of talking about like old Hollywood actresses, the way his like faggy hand yeah. is kind of all over the it's like to me pastry actually, chef. Pastry chef to me, like the physicality is actually the thing that's the most I agree. Uh frustrating off, or off putting. Yeah. Because all the character stuff and even the way he talks is fine. But like he's literally walking around like he's I don't even know. I don't even know who like a dra- like a dra- it's so like to me that the physical affectation that he adopts for the role has to drive home the point to the ca- casual viewer, but to other people, especially in retrospect, it seems crazy. Um, I think I there's also. I mean, yeah. we mentioned the birdcage. Right. There's a part of me that feels a little bit like Dan Futterman might have looked at his at his various. Uh, players in that movie yeah. and thought Swatch like, well, there's some stuff here. Yeah. Right. Or, or even, you know, Hank Azaria or, I mean, and, and I love the birdcage just to be clear, even though it's a very broad, silly comedy, it's a yeah. different animal. Well, you know, what's really funny is Dan Futterman actually has an appropriate, appro- what's appropriate, but Dan actually has a fair amount of feminine affectations in the birdcage to the point where me as a young viewer, I thought he was gay in real life just because of the way he exists in that film. And so almost if if he had done what he had done in that film physically, I think it still would have sold it, but it wouldn't have been the sex in the city kind of comedy that they go for, which is big and bold and in your face and, you know, never found a point they can't hammer home. Well, it's, it's funny because the theme of this episode is, have we evolved as humans? Have we evolved right. past relationships? Have we evolved past the definitions of gay or straight? You know, have we evolved past these sort of these boxes that we put ourselves in? Uh, the answer being no, but uh, a resounding no when it comes to this episode. But I do think that, you know, there's there's a a line on an episode, and I, I don't know if it's in the second season or in the first season, where Carrie's dating someone who's bisexual. And she says okay. something along the lines of, uh, isn't bisexuality just a stopover on the way to gay town? Yes. Um, which is not true and inaccurate. And, and if it was said today, it would be offensive. Right. Um, it's, there's, you know, it's not binary the way you people, the, the way people feel about other people or about you know, what they're turned on by. It's all sort totally. of part of, 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 of quite frankly, an evolution of the species of how we are as, as a, as a, uh, a race. But, um, this episode sort of shows 
how far we've evolved as television viewers and as television shows have been Absolutely. made, yeah, which is a great sign and a great thing. So that's something. And you know, it's, it, what's interesting, I also hate that I know exactly which episode you're talking about because it's the one Alanis Morissette gets in when Eddie Cahill plays <laughs> yes, the yes, yes, uh, yes, 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 yes. And they do spin the bottle, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> I think it's in season two. I think it's the end of season two. It's, yeah, mistaken. season two or three. Yeah. It's around there. Yeah. But like the thing about <laughs> Sex in the City that's really interesting and I would love, I would be curious to know if you like end up unpacking this with any of your other guests but mm-hmm. like, like uh, Miranda, uh, Charlotte is always painted as, you know, the innocent and the prude. But in reality, if you actually take a step back, Carrie actually is the one that is the least adventurous in her sexual life, is the oh, most sort of closed minded in a bunch of different ways. You know, Charlotte, when given the opportunity to explore and experiment, will kind of do that. There's a real, like heteronormativity to Carrie Bradshaw and a real lean into like being in a couple at all times or dating and relationships. And so it's funny that, you know, the, she is the star of this sexually progressive show when she is actually the most sexually repressed, I think of everyone on it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic, ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget. Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It, it makes it, it begs the question whether or not the protagonist being that headspace yeah. is more of a barometer of the world. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. is. I always, I always say, you know, I think the hardest character to probably write on any show is your lead because that person has to be the eyes of the audience in a way that is, it it pushes you to see things, but it doesn't alienate you from them. I always think about like Will on Will and Grace was always the worst character on that show, but it's because he had to be, he couldn't be fun in the way that Karen was or sexual in the way that Jack was or a mess in the way that Grace was because he had to sort of be there was so much pressure on him to be the gay one that middle America like got acclimated to that he could never be a full person and I think there's an element of that with Carrie also where it's like once the show became the thing you know like there probably was an element of it where they said well Samantha will do all the crazy sex stuff so the fans will get a taste of it but they'll never feel like we're putting them in her shoes in that way the way the, we were meant to be in Carrie's shoes for the duration of the entire franchise. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I mean, having obviously been on, on you know, a couple television shows, your leads are always the hardest characters to write. Yeah. Uh, they're the ones that your studio and network are always the most protective of. They're the ones mm-hmm. that are like, you can't, don't, don't, don't fuck with them too much. Right. They have to always be uh, the safe place for the audience to go. Yeah. Um, and I think in 99, the safe place for, for the audience to go for a character like this was surprisingly lacking in uh, sexual sexual you know adventures for sure and, um, you know, for so many of them this was their first exposure to that so it makes sense it's interesting um i i think that so j- just to pivot to the uh the samantha storyline yeah. which is quite frankly one of the less interesting storylines they've ever done with samantha truly uh, and 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 the thing that i found kind of interesting was the the money they left on the table in terms of if you're going to bring back a character or a guy that was her big ex that broke her yeah. heart and like fucked her up right it's this guy this guy yeah. was such a zero yeah. i mean it was just so boring he was uninteresting she was uninteresting with him which is the most damning thing you could do to your to one of your characters um and and it made her seem it made her seem weak. And that is the it last did. thing Samantha is. So I, I don't really it, get it. 
It did. It wasn't, it's not my favorite. I, in general, I don't love when Samantha's storyline is about love because I think she, no, no, because she, she's listen, better than that. She's a character who has yeah. said, I love you, but I love me more, right? She said it repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Like that to me is the central thesis of who Samantha is. She's a caring person, she's a compassionate person, and she will love you, but she will always love herself more. And I don't think that's a bad thing. But this was a situation where she got swept up in a history, which I think we've all been through. We've all run into exes that we are no interest in still dating, but something just triggers that. It's like you get thrown back. It's like a time machine. Mm -hmm. I think the problem was in 23 minutes, it's really hard to get the point of that time machine across to the audience. So we didn't get to see what Samantha ever saw in Dominic beyond them just saying it. We only knew that he was a great love, she was super fucked up about it, and he screwed her over. That's not enough to make us understand why Samantha allows herself to step into that time machine and gets caught up in the time machine. Because again, that is a very relatable experience that I think everyone understands. They just didn't do that. What they did was she wanted to get revenge on him and then she liked having sex with him and then he broke up with her first. So it's kind of like, and again, it's like they, the, 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 tr- the, the morsel of the truth, Colonel, is there. They just couldn't find their way to it in the same way they couldn't with this gay straight man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. I, I think that there are times when, when the Samantha character oddly gets away from them Mm-hmm. Because I think it's a bit of a high wire act, quite frankly. Yeah. I mean, I think that it it might be quite honestly the hardest character to write on the show, um, because if you're not careful, you tip into full on caricature, right. and right. if you go the it's other way, <laughs> sure, you know, uh, yeah. yeah, or or if you tip the other way, you find yourself in sort of a maudlin, like weird, right. sort of uh, uh, lost soul yeah. kind of thing that you don't really want to be in there either. So it's it is a little bit tricky, um, and they just kind of it feels like they just kind of punt it this week a little bit. Um, Absolutely. And I, and, and I always, you know, again, like not to, to circle back to what we were talking about before, just really quickly, I wonder now yeah, yeah. knowing what we know about their relationships, at what point were those dynamics starting to come into play when they stopped liking each other? Was it difficult in the writer's room? You know what I mean? So like there's all those, there's all of these sort of industry things that now we're hyper aware of. So when I watched the show, I'm like, well, maybe this was actually a week when she was like kind of being an asshole. Or maybe this was a week that the writers like got, did, got in a fight with her or, or someone was acting like, it, like a jerk. You know, you just knowing that now, like how contentious so much of this was, I do wonder in these times when one character gets like a super shitty storyline, was there something else at play in that moment? I mean, again, having been in writers' rooms, I can tell you that you. What could also quite very well happen is you write a whole storyline, and then the network's like, "Yeah, we don't like that storyline." Right. And then you just have to make one up real fast. Yeah. And you're like, her old ex comes back, and you're like, right. okay, great, and and they're happy with that, and they let you shoot that. Um. And you know, television is it's like making sausages. People, no one wants to know how they make it. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Um, so the other storylines we have are Miranda goes to her gynecologist and uh, discovers – well, first of all, tells her that she wants to go off the pill right. because she went on the pill prematurely because she was dating which Steve. Is, and- which is funny. <laughs> which is really which is funny. funny. Uh, and then her doctor tells her that she has a lazy ovary, yeah. which she uh, tells uh, tells the girls. Uh, Charlotte is quick to say she has a tilted uterus. <laughs> um, and uh, – yeah, basically the storyline for Miranda is, uh, you know, do I freeze my eggs? Do I, right. you know, do I start to think like about the fact that only one of these is working? How do I recalibrate my life knowing that perhaps having children would be harder? Yeah, well, so I, before I watched this episode, I watched the one before it just to remind myself of sort of where we had come from. And the episode yeah, yeah. before this is the huge you know, breakup between Miranda and Steve, you know, like the bit, like the one that really like fucked her up. And so I get her not having a ton to do in this episode because she's still really reeling from that. She's still upset from that. I will say, you know, there's two, she really gets, she has three scenes basically in this episode. She has the the, um, scene with the gynecologist and the scene where they're all at lunch together and then her date. And even in that, like, I gotta say, Cynthia Nixon's talents as a comedian are so unbelievably strong and savvy and smart the choices she makes as an actor are really good and make miranda feel like such a person you know i think 
to me, I mean, I, I she's always been the character that I liked the most on this show. And I think there's probably some self-identification there, which we don't need to get into because <laughs> this is only like 45 minutes. Um, but, you know, I think one, I think to me, you know, Cynthia Nixon's work on that show is the best of the four because she took someone who in lesser hands could be so cloying and so nasty and so, you know, dark and dismissive and made her so loving and understandable and relatable and kind and wounded that, you know, she really, she really did an amazing job with that character. Even in the part when, you know, she's just told all of them about her, you know, lazy ovary and Samantha just being Samantha's like, I need a new gynecologist right now. Do you like yours? And she goes, not right now. No, you know, it's just like, <laughs> even the delivery of that, it's just like, yeah. it's not yes. mad. It's yes. Yes. like, disgusted with the cards the universe has dealt her and it's so the smarter way to play that character a hundred percent i mean and and you there's no one else you want in that scene more than her when she goes on the date with that fucking asshole I know. Which, which we'll get to in a sec, but like it's she is i mean it's her and steve are my favorite relationship on the show yeah uh exactly. you know they, they really just they bring out the best in each other um which is all you really can ask for in, in a partner and and as you said, there's no one that delivers a line better than Cynthia Nixon. There's a line in season, I think it's the season three premiere, um, uh, where they go to Staten Island to see a firefighter strip uh-huh. show or some sort. Yep. Yep. And I think Charlotte says something like, look at how big his hands are. And, and Miranda goes, you know what they say? Big hands, big hands. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's so, it's such a dumb moment, but Cynthia Nixon is my favorite moment in the history of sex in the city. It's right after she breaks up with Blair Underwood's character, I think, because she realizes she's still in love with Steve. And she wants to call him to get together to, and they've already had Brady, and she wants to call him to have dinner where she's going to tell him. And she's like, has her whole legal notepad with all of the notes written on it. And she picks up the phone and she goes, and and she goes, hello, (coughs) hello, Steve. And it's just, (laughs) even that note of being like, I'm so prepared for this conversation. And then I forgot to clear my throat. And so the start of this is this horrifyingly awkward moment. It's so good. And it's just, she just never failed to blow me away. Even in like things like the second film where it's awful and her and Charlotte are on the plane, you know, talking about how hard it is to be a mom. Like that's really moving, really, really good work. And you're not, you know, it's almost like the show doesn't deserve her, but they do. It all worked out fine. <laughs> I, just they, I mean, it, it, it's, it really is, too, that I, I would argue she's the one who um, conveys being single the best. Absolutely. Of, like, understands the, the, the solitary sort of, let's be real, the depression and the various yeah. sort of ups and downs of being alone. I mean, I think about her... Uh, I mean, it's two scenes with her eating, but when she eats something out of the garbage and she's just like, she hates herself for having done that. And then when, speaking of Blair Underwood, when he he makes that cookie that says, I love you, and she eats the whole fucking cookie. I mean, that is comedy. Even just the way she bites it, like just bites the whole (laughs) thing, like two hands. It's, It's, I'm telling you, it's, it's you know, in general, I think because of the show's content, you know, it was, yes, it was fashion and yes, it was fancy and yes, it was about sex. And yes, they won Emmys. Like, you know, they all won Emmys, but I don't actually think people look back on their work with like reverence or respect from like an actorly perspective. And to me, Cynthia Nixon's work is phenomenal acting, like act, like acting. Kristen Davis in the first movie, like imagine someone else trying to sell that I shit myself in the shower scene, you know, or crying in the pantry in the second movie because she's just overwhelmed with motherhood. Like these actors are doing tremendous work and doing like, like really long character studies that are very successful, very successful. I, you know, it's funny. A a friend of mine posted something on Instagram today. Everyone has an opinion on the sex and city revival, as you can very well imagine uh, out in the world. And, and this one friend of mine is just like, I'm done with the show. I don't need this show to come back. Um, It takes me back to a time that I don't think is particularly healthy. And I don't know that these, the these various things that quite frankly are completely valid. And I'm not, I'm not uh, invalidating anything she's saying. I'll say this though. I do think that this show 
um, it's easy to dismiss this show. It's easy to yeah. think that it is a jewel encrusted thing that you can just kind of dismiss. I right. think that there is an ocean of depth to these characters. To your point, I think that these characters have helped people through various things in real Absolutely. life. And I think that um, I think that these actors do a tremendous job of making them feel like real people, even if yes. the situations might sometimes be unbelievable and silly. They ground them and they make them all feel very real. Um, I mean, I, I think that, you know, just to just to come back to this date with Miranda and this guy, Joseph, who has these hair plugs. Yeah. And then she starts to tell him about her lazy ovary and how she's considering freezing her eggs, which, by the way, in 1999, freezing her eggs. Now it's like, you know, everyone's right. freezing. Yeah, I mean, but, did, did, I did it on the way to the bank today. You know, <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so Joseph says, do we really want desperate women at 50 having kids? What if this is the world's way of weeding out the weak? And yeah. of course... Miranda is having none of this and says, I don't need to be lectured by a guy who's crop rotation on his forehead. Which is really good. <laughs> Which is really great, good. It's I, I think that this is one of those shows as well. You know, they obviously, you know, they have episodes about abortion. They have episodes about very thorny issues about reproductive science and the various things that come along with that. Right. But I think that people forget the emotional component to that. I have friends that that had a very hard time getting pregnant. I yeah. have friends that struggle with all sorts of things. It, science is helping people through all these very difficult things in their lives. And this is going for jokes, understandably so. But it's also talking about a pretty heady issue of, of a woman yeah. who isn't sure if she's going to be married, isn't sure how she's going to have kids, if she wants to have kids. I mean, we know how that goes for Miranda. Her lazy ovary, Steve's one ball. You know, that's how shouldn't it goes. Have worked. <laughs> it shouldn't have worked, but it did. Um, so I just, I, 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 again, I just kind of want to tip my hat to yeah. going into those waters back then when, you know, it, it was, it was tricky. Absolutely. I mean, listen, there's no question the show was groundbreaking, revolutionary in the topics it covered. I think the thing that comes with that, and I think you would see this in any show. I mean, let's, I mean, look, Queer as Folk or... You know, I mean, any show that really delves into sort of topics that are not typically covered in the mainstream, in retrospect, is always going to look sort of tone deaf because they were at the forefront at the time. And then culture, because of them, has progressed forward. So it's kind of like a, what's the, the something tax that you pay? I don't know. There's like an expression. Yeah, no, I, I think um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's like, but like you, a pioneer tax, you like sex in the city pays the pioneer tax for being the first show to talk about it because now they look transphobic. But at the time, no one was talking about that community on television anywhere. You know, it looks like it's kink shaming, but in reality, no one was talking about those kinks at the time. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. It's like, if you're either going to, if you're going to be at the forefront yeah. of a conversation, in 20 years, you're going to look like you were talking crazy because you were making things up because there was no there was no language for it in that way. 100%. I mean, the first one through the wall is the one who gets bloody. I mean, that's just the way that it exactly. is. And, and, exactly. I, and I think that that's and I think that that's it's important to be that person. And I, you know, yeah, I, I think I that so. I've been on shows that 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 want to be groundbreaking and I've been on right. shows that don't and I yeah. totally get it. And I, and I respect that this was one of the shows that did. Um, the last storyline that we have is obviously the Carrie storyline. Yeah. Uh, Carrie and big. <sighs> um, so <laughs> it's, I, I have thoughts. Um, okay. So just because I feel like, I mean, I just don't love big, but, but I, but I, right. I, I, I understand what is endearing about him and what is great about him and, and what is great about him and Carrie. But in this particular episode, he's weird about her leaving stuff at his place. So she is sort of trying to incrementally leave some stuff behind. Um, there's a great moment early on when they have their brunch scene. She tries to take out her wallet and a pair of underwear land on the, right. on the table. Um, and Miranda talks about how she found an old scrunchie at Steve's once, which makes me think about the obvious scrunchie episode deeper mm-hmm. in the show uh, where, uh, <laughs> where Berger writes a book and has a scrunchie in it. And I mean, I kind of, as a writer, I understood why, like the book's done. Like what's he going to do? Fucking change it? <laughs> I know. I know. I, but it's also like, but I, I get her point it's like she's like she loved yeah. it and she's like making a joke and then she goes too far and then she's like oh my god yeah. i could have talked for hours about how i love it and i've now just tainted yeah. the whole thing yeah um but so yes yeah, so we have that basically carrie starts to leave stuff behind um she also tells she also tells them that she left a number two at big's place for yeah. the first time which is kind of amazing which I mean, well, I get it though. Like, there's some vacations you take with people, and you're like, I can't shit in this room right now. I have to like, 
you're like, let's go. Should we go to should we go to lunch somewhere? You're like, go get a drink somewhere. And then as soon as you get there, you're like, I'll be right back. I'll you, be right back. Can't, you can't do it. It's like I get it. Even now, I get it now. Um, yeah, no, it's it's funny. It's funny because, and this is ridiculous, but I'm watching Stephen Colbert last night, and Rachel Brosnahan was on. She was talking uh-huh. about how she went on a road trip with her husband in an RV. They rented a big RV, Sorry. and Stephen Colbert was very interested in he because he's always wanted to do this. And he said, "What did you learn about your spouse? You know, going on this?" And she's like, "Well, I learned a lot about poop. I learned right. a lot about when he goes to poop. Yep. I learned a lot about how you have to empty a septic tank in an RV." <laughs> like she talked but all i was just like this is amazing oh and ridiculous but yeah, it's, but, it's, but i agree with you it's it's a big it's it's kind of it's it shouldn't be a big deal and it is a big deal but and it is a big deal yeah i mean i think you know i think what's hard is like this is the point in the show when you know carrie and big are trying to make it work and she's very given sort of the way things ended in season one is still like hyper focused on this idea of i need him to be as in this as i am and he's so bad at letting her know right and i think that's something that i think also is very understandable i mean at least for me like there's so many relationships that i've been in where i've been like i just want to know that you like me as much as i like you and i also but that may not be that's just not their love language sometime right like there are just some people who don't have words of affirmation or words of you know support and encouragement in their vernacular and then there's other people who are super effusive about the way they feel almost to a point where it feels like they're trying to make a point i think that you know the the great thing that i love there's two things i love about this storyline you know one is when carrie's talking about leaving you know starting to leave little things in big's apartment and she goes overboard she goes man may have discovered fire but women discovered how to play with it and that's like a great line because that's exactly what it is, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like I am, I know that I am doing something that will antagonize you because what I want to do is I want to have this conversation, but I almost need to have a fight to have the conversation, which is not a healthy relationship productive <laughs> tool. I'm fully admitting, but I get it. You know, I think I want to get it. Um, but, yeah. you know, I think I think the great thing about this episode, and when I think about this show, and going back to what we were talking about with Carrie before, you know, it does really the reason I think Carrie is so sort of vanilla in so many ways is because so many people are projecting their ideas and themselves onto her, and her triumphs in love and life are their triumphs in love and life. You know, I'm a Carrie, I'm a Carrie, I'm a Carrie. So I think what's great about this episode is the message it actually leaves that I'm a Carrie's with, which is you are so concerned about the stuff. You're so concerned about having a hairdryer at his place. You're so concerned with, you know, eyelash curlers. What you don't realize is he has a picture of you in his drawer that he has kept because he loves looking at you all the time. And you don't have to do all of that stuff. And so to me, that last beat where she discovers that photo is such a perfect note for the episode to end on because what it says is you've spent all this time stressing about your relationship and your stability and your place in this relationship and your place in his heart when you were really making yourself go crazy over something that isn't real you're there you're in there like you don't have to worry about that and it's that it's it's a good thing to remind ourselves sometimes when we try to spiral you know about a relationship it's like well maybe there's just a picture of me in his drawer and it's like it's fine and i don't actually have to worry about it you know it's i agree with everything you're saying and i and i you know i i think What's interesting about, honestly, about all four of the leads really is that they're allowed to be messy, that they're allowed to be a little bit broken. Um, you know, Carrie in particular, I, I, I had Emily Nussbaum on for the first episode where we talked about her New Yorker piece. We talked about sort of, you know, the uh, how she sees the show. And she talked a lot about the anti-hero that is Carrie Bradshaw and yeah. how that sort of how she was allowed to sort of be needy and and a little bit sort of unsure of herself. That lack yeah. of confidence in a lead character is pretty is pretty shocking. It's pretty. I mean, yeah. she's a very confident woman. She's a very confident person. Uh, I certainly right. wouldn't walk, you know, down the street in some of those outfits. <laughs> but but I mean, God bless her for it. But I, I I think that that to your point, it is a beautiful way to end the episode because it proves that it's all in your head. Have right. confidence in the fact that this person cares about you. They want to spend this time with you. They obviously care about you. Now, admittedly. Big's a disaster in his own right, and there's a reason it takes totally. six seasons for these two to finally, you know, figure out some way towards each other. Right. Um, but but it is, you know, you mentioned that playing with fire moment, and it's a great, it's one of my favorite shots in the episode too. It's through the medicine cabinet, mm-hmm. and he's looking for something, yeah. and she's peering over his shoulder, brushing yeah. her teeth, wondering if he's going to like notice. 
Yeah. And it's like that kind of that playfulness in yeah. that neuroses is is really what makes Carrie Bradshaw one of the best characters. Absolutely. And, you know, we didn't talk about Sarah Jessica when we were talking about sort of the actors. But to your point, she is neurotic and she is needy. And in lesser hands, she would have felt that way. But there's something so inherently lovable about Sarah Jessica's decisions and how she plays Carrie and her whimsy and her quirks and, you know, her foibles and all of that, that, yes, she is all of those things. And yet you still, you don't, and it's not even that you love her in, because of them or in spite of them. It's that your love for her never wavers because of those other things. So, you know, so often you're like, oh, they played a character and you love her in spite of those flaws or you love her despite those flaws. To me with her, it's like, you just love her. And these are things about her. You know, it's kind of, it's an interesting thing that you don't see a ton. I also, you know, it it should be said too, that apropos of very little, I watched a bunch of movies that she happened to be in over the past, you know, many months that we've been Mm. trapped in our apartments. Um, And, and I I really don't think that because this role is so iconic and this is, this is the first thing that will be mentioned in her, you know, uh, on her tombstone or whatever it is. But you know, I think about, I watched The Family Stone over Christmas with my roommate. I, I think about her in Ed Wood or Footloose yeah. or like the, the range that she has yeah. that we don't give her nearly enough credit for yeah. is is really impressive. And, and she brings all of those tools to this role, which is why yeah. I think this role feels so earned and feels so human. And, yeah. and you know, I, I think about all the like little things that she does silently as well. I think about the episode where she um, she needed Samantha. She, she got her diaphragm stuck, and she needed uh-huh. Samantha to, to to get it out. Yeah. Um. And and the look on her face of there's a little bit of shame there because she hasn't told the girls that she's right. back with Big, and they're like, "Why are you wearing a diaphragm? Right. And what's going on?" And it's all on her face without saying a word. I mean, these are all things that that I think, um, you know the reason that the show is so brilliant it's it's it really is uh, it really is something special so at yeah, the end of every one of these episodes mm-hmm. i have been asking uh who is your favorite character and why it doesn't need to be of the four leads it can be okay. of the entire show is i mean you're probably gonna say miranda because like we all fucking love miranda and she's the best. <laughs> but but I, i'm just curious as to if you have a favorite character i mean yeah i mean i have a lot right like yes i love miranda and of the four she is my favorite you know and i think i think i'm just really drawn to her, that entire storyline like steve was always my favorite like boyfriend husband on the show um i think low-key one of my favorite characters was magda um Miranda's housekeeper and then baby nurse. Um, and, and it's because it's, 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 there's very small moments, but like there's one scene when I think Mag- Magda always knew Magda always knew what was going on with Miranda, you know, even when she, you know, they had a tough start. She put, you know, the Jesus in her drawer where the condoms were, where the vibrator was, she arranged her condoms in a little thing. They became best friends. Like I love that. But over the course of the show, you know, Magda would clock Miranda going through something. She would see something was really stressing her out. And she would do something in a very subtle, passive way to try to help her. And there was so much love there, you know? it's It reminds me, like, the scene when uh, Steve's mother, they find her in the garbage and she's, like, eating the pizza. And she and takes, gives her a bath. Yeah. Gives her a bath. And Magda is the one who is yeah. basically says to her, it's like, you are full of love, which I think is something Miranda had always been worried about. You know, there's a scene when earlier in the run of the show, when Miranda likes Steve and it's after Brady's born and Steve comes over and he's eating a sandwich when Miranda comes home. And, and she's like, what are you doing here? And it's like, who made you a sandwich? And you just see Magda kind of like hide a little (laughs) bit. You know, she's like kind of like slides back into like the kitchen. Yeah, and that yeah. was that was Magda meddling yeah. to bring Steve into the home so they could spend more time together. And I, I think there's something really um like sweet and kind about Magda, who is truly someone who lives to help others and you know, obviously has no agency. I know nothing about this woman's life, I know nothing about her family, but what I do know is that she too, like Miranda is so full of love that it was such an important presence in Miranda's life. So if Miranda is one of my favorite characters, I have to look at the people who helped make her the character that she is. And I'm that it's, that's my family right there. The, the Steve Miranda, Magda, 
big head I, lady, I, all of that. I appreciate. I, I I love all of that. I think that that is that's a, a perfect answer, Magda. Yeah. Who unfortunately the actress we lost her recently. Uh, she was she was lovely, and 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 that that trifecta is really is really something special, and and speaks honestly to. I mean, if I had to pick a favorite episode, it might very well be the one where Miranda's mother dies, and oh, uh, in okay. season four, which is a tremendous episode because yeah. it allows all of her sort of. Uh, mm-hmm. strengths and weaknesses and all of it just being on full sort of display. But yeah. to your point, it shows all the people in her life yeah. that make her who she is. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's really special. There's no trope I love more in a TV show than when the characters, pe- the people in the character's life show up for the character in the moment they most needed them, Yes, you know, without being asked. Like yes. it just, yes. it, it, no matter what it is, it just gets me every time. Cause I think as people, there's something about the idea of if I need help, will people help me without me asking for that help? Will they care enough to know that I need help and I don't have to verbalize it? And that episode you're talking about is the perfect example of that. She didn't even ask any of them to come to that funeral. She didn't tell any of them where it was. And then they all show up and they're all right there. And it's a beautiful moment. And and it it speaks to one of the reasons that I love television, and I'm going to assume that it's one of the reasons you love television as well, um, is camaraderie. It's the idea yeah. of a group of people working together towards a common goal. I don't care Absolutely. if it's Buffy or if it's the West Wing, whatever it is. Yep. It's people coming together, the idea of family, the idea of, of the family you build rather than the family that you that you are born into. Totally. And and I think that this show does a beautiful job of that, that episode in particular, but also just in general. And I think that it's the thing that I keep coming back to. It's the thing, you know, it's the reason why people watch The Office or Friends or all these shows a million times is because of that. They feel like they're your friends. They feel like they're your 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 fictional family. And I think that that's, uh, that's one of the wonderful things about this show. Absolutely. Well, thank you for being here, Jarrett. Thank you for coming Anytime, to talk. So. <laughs> I mean, clearly um, I don't have any opinions about this television show. So. Yeah, you, don't have anything to, you don't have anything to say about it. So. No, I've never but, and obviously, uh, when we do Buffy, you better yeah, believe boy. that you're coming back for that. Man, I don't even, I don't even know. Like, that's going to have to be like a seven-part episode. But the problem is I don't think I'm the only person that would say. I think anyone you would have on this show would say – this is going to have to be a seven-part episode because I can't talk about Buffy in one hour. But well, I just, said, I just have to say that I've told, I've told Keely this, and I've told Meg oh. Masters this, and now I'm telling yeah. you this, that the three of you are coming on for an episode together to talk That's about great. an episode of Buffy because it has to happen. And because then I don't have to say anything. I can just sit here and just let you guys talk, and it'll be great. I mean, that's well, listen, I'm, I'm ready, and I apologize <laughs> in advance to your editor. So. <laughs> it's going to be great. One last thing, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, Speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's 1999. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's 1999. Uh, thank you so much to Ernie and Will for producing our episodes, Sullivan for our social media, Yon Katas for our amazing art and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Like it's 1999. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 